Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast live from the BNA airport. That's all I know it's called here in Nashville. We apologize the audio quality. It's going to be a little shaky. But you're going to hear some uh, some uh, ambient sound, but you're also going to hear some Rule 5 draft analysis that you just can't get anywhere else. That's why J.J. Cooper's here. That's why Josh Norris here. That's why me, John Manuel, I'm here. So we'll go right into the Rule 5. And guys, uh, J.J. was struck in your overview story. By the quote from Terry Ryan, this is the deepest Rule 5 draft that he could remember. A, I think Terry's getting a little older, so I think he's forgotten some. But B, it stunned me that he would say that right on the heels of last year's draft where 10 slash 11 guys stuck. And yet, I think really the, I, the, the landmark of this year's Rule 5 for me, because <laughs> we're geeks, was 48 players in the AAA phase. And several of those guys were guys that I told you hey, this could be a good major league Rule 5 pick. So to me, this year, compared to last year, there are some decent picks in the major league draft. I don't think this is a, by Rule 5 draft standards, but this to me, a below average major league Rule 5 draft with 48 picks in the minor league phase. That's the phase that really stood out to me. It, it is. I think this was a, a perfectly adequate major league phase. On the major league side, there are guys who I could see sticking. They're not going to make big impacts, but could stick. A couple of guys who maybe, maybe, <laughs> Luis Perdomo, if everything breaks right, could end up being a pretty useful, pretty solid big leaguer for quite a while. But you're right. The thing that stands out is 48 players. That's the most we've seen since the rules changed. It used to be you'd see 50 plus, but that was 2007, right? 2006 draft was the first time that everyone got an extra year. So then it became four years for 18 and under signees. Five, I'm sorry, five years for 18 under studies, four years for anyone signed 19 or older. And before that, it was one less year, which three years and four years, well, yes, the minor league phase becomes a, a more a bigger deal because you can only protect so many guys, even right. on the AAA roster. Well, before that, you'd see 51, 52, and then after that, you'd see 25, 20, 30 in a big year. 48 is a massive number, and as you said, it's fascinating that there are some guys here who are somewhat interesting, but also what's fascinating is, is that this was a lot of minor league poaching. Yes, it was. There was a lot of poaching. Let's, let's get to the AAA phase in a minute. Let's talk about the major league phase. That's, that's what everyone really came for here is the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. And, uh, you know, Josh, you, 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 know, you got to watch firsthand as J.J. broke the Tyler Goodell was going to go first story and J.K. second. So there were no surprises there. Uh, what picks stuck out to you in, in the first round? I'm going to guess the fact there were two Yankees picking the first three picks was a little bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Well, the first one was rumored all week was, was Cave, but Evan Rutsky came out of nowhere. Uh, he's a lefty with... Literally, with, almost. Canada, same as nowhere. No offense, sorry, Alexis. Sorry, Alexis. He's uh, <laughs> a big lefty with a, a, a plus fastball and an iffy breaking ball. Some say it's a slider, some say it's a curveball. Um but I certainly did not get uh, expect him to be a guy that you're going to say, hey, you want to stick on a major league roster all season? I mean, Jake Cave, I guess, really is kind of a fourth outfielder prototype. That's yeah. left, can play all three positions, has arm strength, has plus speed. The Yankees He's not already, a burner, but he has plus speed. The Yankees already have one of those guys on their roster in Ben Gamble, and they have another one. Well, Dustin Fowler is a better version of that. So yeah, I'm surpri- I am surprised they chose to protect Gamble over Cave in terms of Gamble's more of a second division regular. Cave makes more sense to me from a Yankees perspective as a fourth outfielder on a championship team. For me, 
as I look at the Yankees, I mean, I'm not Brian Cashman. I'm not making their decisions. But for what they do and what they're aiming for, Cave fits the fourth outfielder on a championship team profile better than Gamble does for me. Gamble's more of like a second division regular. I think Gamble has a little more power, and he's done it at the higher level. He has, but does he have enough power to be a regular for the New York Yankees? No, but neither of those do. Right, so that's why you choose the guy who fits better on your on your bench. For me, and that's really what the Rule 5 has kind of turned into, J.J., which is one of the things he wrote very well about. Both Rutsky and Cave, if they stick, Cave will be a fourth outfielder at best, maybe a fifth outfielder for some of those deeper teams. Evan Rutsky's a left-on-left guy who didn't even do great against lefties this I, I year. I was going to say, well, Daniel Stump, who went later in this pick, you know, later in this, Daniel Stump, the, analytics the, uh, better. the Phillies took a little later in this, Stump was better against lefties last year. A little bit less control, and maybe that's what the uh, Braves thought is, is no, the control might be iffy enough that we're not going to really want to go with Stump. But Stump was pretty much death on lefties this year. Fastball-slider combo that you expect to be the kind of guy who, who really can uh, like shut down a lefty. The other guys who kind of were expected to go went fourth and sixth. Uh, Luis Perdomo, we heard a lot about Luis Perdomo leading up to it. And Jabari Blash, whose name I love to say. Rule 5 eligible last year and went unpicked. 32 homers later, he does get picked. And I've been, I've been writing about Jabari Blash in one form or the other since he was at, uh, I believe, Miami Dade Junior College. Mm-hmm. Correct. I believe the Texas Rangers wanted him in this draft because they'd taken him as an amateur and then had the deal fall through at the last minute. And he transferred somewhere, maybe it was a second year, like a third year red shirt at, at Miami Dade, and he got kicked off the team. So he's had this makeup, bad makeup tag. When you hit 32 home runs in a power start game, you hit 32 home runs. The surprising thing, J.J., is that he was traded to the San Diego Padres, drafted by the A's, traded to the Padres, um, was, and as was Luis Perdomo, correct? Yes. Traded by, drafted by the Rockies, traded to the Padres. Padres also made a selection of their own in Joshua Two. Martin. And then that was the first yeah. round, and then the second round they took Blake Smith. That was pretty much a boutique Logan White, I drafted this guy. Actually, Logan wasn't running the Dodgers drafts when Blake Smith was a hitter. I've talked to Logan about Blake Smith in the past. He liked his arm. He always liked his arm. Converted the mound after hitting didn't work out. So Logan goes in and gets one of his guys. And we talked to the assistant general manager of the Padres, Josh Stein, and he basically said, look, it's like, you know, four men enter. Who knows if four men will leave? Unlikely. It would be historic if four guys stuck on your Rule 5 draft, from the Rule 5 draft, stuck on your big league roster. But pretty unprecedented, guys. Um, rank the four Padres guys in order of likeliest to stick. I'll let both of you do it. Give me you your rankings, JJ. Perdomo, Blosh, I love to say his name. Martin. Martin and Blake Smith. Rank them one to four. i, I got to go with the guys who, I, to me, I, I think that Perdomo is number one. And yep. that's because you're talking about present stuff. Three pitches, especially a fastball-slider combo that in the bullpen works quite well. And unlike a lot of these guys who that's that profile, he actually doesn't walk half of everyone he faces, which that was a problem with so many guys who were available who went unpicked in this Rule 5. Perdomo, thing, he, he doesn't have – he has control, but he doesn't have command. Right. What are your bugaboos? And the thing is, he has fringy control. He does throw – he doesn't walk a lot of guys, but he gets behind hitters and he right. doesn't have deception. So a guy – crazy thing about Luis Perdomo is we've written that he does for this group, he might have the best stuff of any of the pitchers who were drafted here. And then he got hit pretty hard in low mm-hmm. class A this low year. Low class A too, and and that's it. So it was low A. He's twenty two. He wasn't young for the for the group for that age uh, that that level. He just doesn't have much deception, and he doesn't have enough. He he throws fastballs and fastball counts. He doesn't have much pitchability. I mean, when he's behind, even at ninety three, ninety four, touching six or seven, he gets hit. 
No, but I, I think Blash... I still think he's the best bet. Blash is the guy who, uh, as you've pointed out, and I think it's a good point, is that I don't know how well Blash fits for what the Padres already have. That was that was pre-podcast. Right, yes. we talked pre-podcast, and you mentioned that. I thought it was a good point. Podcast prep. But... <laughs> But I do think, though, if you talk about if you talk about a guy who could go out this year and be a productive 300, 400 at bat guy, he's got to strike out a lot. Right. But 32 homers, double A, triple A last year. He has upper level time. This is not something where the big leagues is going to be this jump that's way too fast for him. If he's going to be able to handle it, he can handle it now. There should not be any of this. Well, he needs another year. He's got enough time at upper levels to where this is him. This is the Jabari Blast that you're going to have. Right. And I just talked to Colin Walsh today, who was uh, one of the players drafted. Number, yeah, the fifth in between Perdomo and Blast, who we just talked about. And Colin Walsh had one of these years, Josh, where he was right after he got released in spring training by the Cardinals. And you've probably covered a lot of these guys in your time in Trenton, where he was signed April 10th by the A's, and clearly was another priority guy because he wasn't there in spring training with him. When he was first signed, he went to double A with them. But then they needed guys in high A. He got sent to high A for two games. And they were like, oh, you know what? We need an infielder slash outfielder in triple A. So with a triple A and was, you know, playing some but not too often. Then he got sent back down to double A and high A. And he just said just that timing is triple A pitchers. They didn't have the greatest stuff, but they knew how to pitch. And that, he just said it was almost like that he saw the Matrix after he'd been in AAA a little bit. When he got sent back to AA and, AAA and single A, but after that, it just was too easy because he'd seen AAA pitching. Not too easy, but it was a lot easier. And he really showed that this year with what he did at AA. Statistically, he had the best year of any of these guys who was drafted. Well, you're describing a guy I think of as, uh, as Mario Hollins, who I remember. He's a right-hander for the Phillies. Who lefty. Did, no, he was lefty. I'm sorry, lefty, yes. He still is a lefty. Uh, for the Phillies, who did all four levels in one year in complete out of order, and then he made the, the big league bullpen last year out of spring training, and my my jaw unhinged a little bit because if you see the guy with that pattern, you don't necessarily see them in the bullpen the next right. year, especially to open the year. And he got cut on, and you know people have forgotten about him, but he'll be back at some point. I always remember him for his days at UC Santa Barbara. But the point, but point being that Walsh. A, it's an unusual career path. We'll get back to Washington. But B, that AAA experience I think really matters. And I think it is, like you said, going to really help Blash stick. I just don't know that San Diego is the best place for him to stick. This is That's one of the other things that's fascinating about, about this major league portion of the Rule 5. There were some guys taken here that are kind of, I, you would call them, for lack of a better word, non-traditional. Uh, you saw Dielis Guerra and G-Man Choi. Both of those guys. G-Man Choi, who should be a, a, a New York football Giants player. But both of those guys are agent. both of those guys are guys who were available for anyone for right. just if you just sign the check right if you just sign the contract he's yours no roster restrictions no need to worry about trying to carry him on the big league roster and to be honest in Choi's case wasn't really a guy who was before that going to be a guy who would go into spring training saying right. I think that guy's going to make the big league roster I so agree. that was that a little was bit baffling. One. That was an odd one. I mean, in the Angels, you know, they have C.J. Crone and Albert Pujols in that first base slot, both of whom really should be DHs at this point in their career. They usually, usually they've had Efren Navarro as like, you know, like the who was the player in the twenties whose nickname was Babe Ruth's legs. Uh, like this, like in the twenties. Yeah, Dalbert. I think that's it. So he would this guy he would be he would be Albert Pujols' legs would be his nickname if this were the twenties. Um, thankfully, it's not. We but, have better nicknames now. But again, He's just Enav. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how. I mean, that's the least. If I'm putting together, which I will tomorrow, the likelihood of guys to stick, 
Choi is the lowest on that, just from the standpoint of I don't see how he fits for them. And the reality is, is coming off of pretty serious injury you know, problems, and you put it together with the fact that he's going to a team that already has guys playing the position that he plays. It's a bad combo. It is. It is a, it's a rough combo. Um, and I don't feel like either of the other Padres guys, uh, Martin or Smith, if Blake Smith sticks, that's just like the remotest of remote chances. He's only been pitching for a couple of years and not with a tremendous amount of success. Jason Martin, I didn't see his numbers. Joshua. Josh Martin, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, but it seems like it's three average pitches. Nothing's really stood out in the minor leagues for him, performance-wise, uh, for me anyway. This is, though, Josh, one of the other things we talked about was uh, you, the Rule 5 draft really does kind of bring together two of the camps in your major league front office, the pro scouting side, which often can be your crustier traditional side. Not always, but often can be. And then your analytics side, which is less crusty, more, more prone to be vegan. I don't know what I mean by that, but obviously the newer version. you got to be a little old school and new school that go great together at Rule 5 time. Yes. Uh, I guess I was supposed to, to rank the orders of the... the you can, or you can play off what I just said. Like, likely to stick here. I was waiting for that cue. Um, I'm going to go with, with Blash, number one, simply because he's got power and he didn't done it at Triple A. Um, then number two is per- Perdomo, just pure stuff. And then I'm going to go Smith 3, just because if he's an outfielder and he's a converted guy and he's won best outfield arm twice in that Dodgers system, I'm thinking there's, there's going to be pretty high velocity there and you just, you just can't ignore that. So let's let's call him the wild card and then Josh Martin there at the end, although he had some really good numbers at AA Akron this year. Uh, I think it was the whip was sub, sub 1, his ERA was sub 2. Yes, uh, John. If you can't see it, John just you hit the whip. Can't see it. It's a podcast. John just hit the whip. Well, you might you might be podcasting, and there might be someone behind us listening. You, you just... don't have to mention it. It was just for your amusement. It's all right. Alrighty. It's well, all right. Well, it's all right. Uh, I'm naying as we speak. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my order of those four. Uh, let, let's move on to the the triple A phase. No, no, no. no I'm not. I'm not ready for the triple A phase. I'm not ready. Okay. So I just want to hit on a couple other guys. Rays lost two guys. Rays lost the number one pick, second year in a row, because they also lost uh, Oscar Hernandez with the first pick last year. Right. I will say this. Losing Tyler Goodell with the first pick this year, not nearly as frustrating and annoying to the Rays as losing Hernandez last year. Last and yet, year, And yet, externally, I mean, their fans are more upset about losing Goodell right. than but, they were but Gale, Hernandez. Goodell is the kind of guy, they knew when they left Goodell unprotected that there was a chance they were going to lose him. They did right. not expect that a class A, low class A catcher right. would, get, would be taken. Why they did also, they not protect Goodell? Did, we, did you talk to the Rays about that? I talked to them. Basically, they just said we're we're too full up. I mean, that they really that's what they they they, they, have, they I also think five catchers on their forty um, man roster. They they got scared because of last year. <laughs> I suppose so, but to me, yeah, I I would have been willing to lose to risk it on a Luke Maley, um, Porter Hemplow. No offense but, to Luke, but but Luke and Goodell are. Got, I think he still has upside to go. Oh, I do too. He's got leverage. He's got long arms. Athlete. Can play center field in the pinch. I think he's got you know pretty decent value. I thought that was a smart pick by the Phillies, and one worked for them obviously last year. I could see Tyler Goodell getting a lot of playing time for the Phillies in an outfield. Josh, you tell me, do they have anything in the outfield outside of Odubel Herrera who they Cody Ashey? It's like Ashey. I'm coming. But it's like Aaron Altair. Yeah, and they don't have no more Dominic Brown. So so your outfield could be Tyler Goodell, Odubel Herrera, and what did we just say Aaron, Aaron Altair. Altair. By the way, that makes it my favorite outfield in baseball because you have two Rule 5 guys every day. I, I could. It would be awesome from a Rule 5 standpoint. 
but coming right behind them, you have Nick Williams, who is right there. Um, you're going to have somebody else here. Maybe Jorge Alfaro, if you move right. in the outfield, because you've got Alfaro and Knapp coming up, and Alfaro hasn't really proved he can be a catcher. Correct. Uh, I think he's going to need some time uh, hitting-wise as well, but yes, long-term. And um, and Roman Quinn. There's another one. There's another one. They, they, could have a, they could have that outfield this year, the outfield of, of unloved toys. Marry a power hitter in the group. I mean, like, I like Nick Williams as a hitter. I wouldn't call him a power hitter. Oh, hey, in this current outfield. Um, no, I mean, like, but not even in that group. I mean, jo, jo, I mean uh, Jorge Alfaro has power potential. Doesn't control the strikes enough to tap into it. That's uh, not an encouraging group for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's the one. But they, and that, now they did add Derek Fisher. Yes. He's obviously not big league ready. But that is one guy way, yeah. in this group. That is one guy in this group of outfielders who has power. Although he, even he hasn't really tapped into it. You did it in Lancaster, but that's Lancaster. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not you, buying that. I, I tapped into some power in Lancaster. <laughs> so, um, two, two other guys that is one. I mean, Joey Rickard, I did want to touch on briefly, which is he's taken by the Orioles. The Orioles are one of the teams that does best at taking guys in the Rule 5. It's worked out pretty well for them in recent years. TJ McFarlane, Ryan Flaherty. Last year, Jason Garcia. Jason Garcia. So they keep guys. Also Vegas, baby. Joey Rickard uh, is a guy, again, backup outfielder profile, can get on base, can play center. So that's what they like there. Very similar to Johnny Field, who is the player with whom I constantly confuse him with. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Joey yeah, and I'm Johnny. sorry, Johnny Field. Uh, two, two control <laughs> right-handers. Uh, Joey, Joe uh, Biangini, who was taken by the Blue Jays from the Giants. And then Matt Bowman. Bowman has a little more stuff than Biagini. I thought Bowman was a good pick from the standpoint of this guy has, again, upper-level time. This is a guy who has, if you look at it, I mean, he pitched in Vegas. Vegas is a tough, tough place to pitch. Again, he's a guy Unless you're Joey Gallo. Not a massive upside, but, is a, but a, is a guy who, if you put it all together, you say, could he end up actually even crazy enough being a number five starter? I don't see it happening with St. Louis, but yeah, it, it, if injuries happen or something, I could see it. Or if he ends up being that kind of swing guy who mainly is working in your pen, but then is ready to go three, four, five innings if you need a spot start. As I put in the skinny, man, St. Louis taking pitching. They, they do good things with pitchers. They generally do. And um, But, you know, but another, another guy who was impressive to me was the Milwaukee Brewers. They took two picks. Colin Walsh, who we've discussed. Zach Jones. Ryan Zach Jones. I really thought that he would go high higher. Risk, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... Well, the thing in the Rule 5 is there's no risk. Yeah. You know, it's 50 Low it's 50 risk, high reward, yeah, because he, he is a guy with two-plus pitches on his best and, you know, there's you know, he's been up to 100 miles an hour in the past, uh, 98, 99, regularly, usually more in the 95 range, but athletic, San Jose State guy, and uh, I, you know, I thought that was a nice pick. And, and Milwaukee came into this with 34 players on the 40 right. men. They've got room to carry a guy a little more and than most people. I mean, David Stearns comes from Houston where they tear down – was successful. Worked very well. And so I think he's going to tear down. Uh, as Tom Hottercourt put it, they won 68 94 in 2015. And then in 2016, 68 94 is going to look awfully good because he expects a lot fewer wins than 68. So there's a good chance. I had to have more of a chance to carry two, and San Diego has a chick carry three, not just four. Um, Colin Walsh, second base, left field, had more than 100 walks in double A this year. You know, Stanford guy, already has a master's degree. So, you know, he's very motivated because this is his chance to be a big leaguer. And uh, he was not ready to pack it up or pack it in. And uh, he hit double figures in home runs. He had 39 doubles this year. So he'd done it once before in the minor leagues, low class A with the Cardinals. Uh, Really broke through this year with the athletics. 
very indebted, in his own words, to Oakland for giving him a chance after he was released. He made the most of his chance, and and how's a chance he can play a little bit of left field, play a little bit of right? Yeah. This is a guy who a year ago thought, I might be done. April 10, 2014, a year and a half ago, he was released. I guess almost two years. But he thought he was done, potentially, and here he is now, he could be a big leaguer. And he goes to camp knowing, at least I have a shot. You're in big league camp. Most right. of there's so many guys who just would love to get to big league camp to have that shot. So two NorCal guys and him and Zach Jones against San Jose State and Stanford alums going to the Brewers. And two very smart guys in this, uh, this, this, this major league days. We've got Colin Walsh from Stanford and Matthew Bowman from Princeton. So. I didn't know he was at Princeton. Yes. All right, not bad. Uh, but I think we've covered, the good news is, is we've covered the Major League course, and now we can move on to the AAA portion. Which this will is, make us miss our flight. This is the ultra geek portion. We ain't missing our flight. I'm just joking. The joke being that there's so many guys. There are a lot of guys. But you're, <laughs> a nervous, you're a nervous traveler. I am. Um, now, first, I, the first part of the AAA phase, the funnest part so far for me of the AAA phase has been hearing J.J. try to pronounce Luis Niebla's name. Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing <laughs> that on do the it. podcast. I'm not doing but it. the other second favorite part was J.J.'s gleeful tweet that two members of the Indie Ball Top 10 this year were selected in the Minor League Rule 5, one of them being, both of them went to college in our environment, John Brebbia, Elon, right. one of the harder throwers in Indie Ball this year, 95-97, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. Slider, mm-hmm. that's, you could call it, it's a plus slider in Indie Ball, I always hesitate to throw plus on any slider in Indie Ball, but it's... Re- remove it was, a grade and a half, yes. I think. That's so, extreme. But, uh, right, but, but, and then Patrick Johnson, hashtag personal cheese ball. Competitor supreme. Who um, also doesn't throw? He's not a soft tosser either. No, I mean he pitches with I think with an average fastball. I'm sure they say that he throws harder, but to me that was an astute pick and a great opportunity for him because while I love for him to now this is no, no coincidence drafted by the Marlins who now have Jim Benedict previously signed as a minor league free agent with the Pirates. Yep. Who where Jim Benedict from once he came. Yep. So Bobby Solomon is Jim Benedict. Like, oh, I like this guy. Jim Benedict apparently likes Patrick Johnson. That's a good sign for Patrick Johnson. So um, what other minor league uh, we're at the top of the triple A phase. So we got a couple of this PDF couple stuck of, out on this couple page. of notable names. Brian Moran Luis former Diebla. Yeah, I'm not saying him. <laughs> but Brian Moran, former major league rule five pick. Two time rule fiver. As a as a lefty specialist. It's a lot of less expensive, $12,000 when you take him as a minor league specialist and see what happens. Zach Cox, who was a, a dude at one point, is, I hate to say it, but no longer a dude. But, you no know, longer a dude. Did have a good year in AA this year, but was obviously a uh, first-round pick of the you know, St. Louis Cardinals in 2010. And really the top college bat going into the draft until about May when everything started to go south for Zach Cox. And uh, fell in the draft of the Cardinals and went up being traded. Um I forget who he was traded for. I believe it was Mujica. I think it was Eduardo Mujica. So, uh, I was going to say, no, yeah, Josh or, or John jump in. Turn, Bear. All right. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Anderson Franco got taken a uh, short time after being traded for international slot money this year from the Rays to the Marlins. That's why I didn't recognize what team he was on. Right. He was the, he was the guy, I remember, he showed up in Greensboro and I said, I know he's a raised prospect. Why is he here? How did this happen? And it actually got exploded in slot money. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Manny Martinez from the Phillies to the, to the White Sox. To the White Sox. Uh, he's a hard thrower, which is, you know, everything, everybody wants one of those. Adam Kalarik, a guy who was on his hometown Baltimore Orioles farm system and now is. Hey, we may over. see him. We may see him in Durham. Well, yeah, in Durham, yes, he will. Uh, Eduardo De Olio, I mean, I covered the Yankees for a long time in their system, and I think I went to spring training five times, and I swear he was there all, every every time, so I'm stunned he's 
an option at this point. Maybe he's uh, there. Organization the, uh, Peter, Peter O'Brien's caddy. Yes. Uh, his buddy. Peter O'Brien's legs, to use that joke again. Felipe Gonzalez, two-time AAA phase rule five guy. Uh, and John. Yellow Leclerc is the uh, brother of Jose Leclerc, really nasty uh, right. See, that's a great nickname. I'm going to call him Yolo Leclerc from now on because it sounds like he's a Yolo. And he's a, he's and yellow Yolo. and Yellow. But he just sounds like Yolo. Like, you only live once, Leclerc. Pinchy Chen, the walk-off, Carolina, the walk-off hit to win the Carolina League Championship this year. Nice, nice tweet from the Myrtle Beach Pelicans after he was taken and said, we call him Mills Cup champion, Pinchy Chen. That is a great, that's a great tweet. If you're a fan of the Simpsons, he's Mr. Pinchy. I don't remember. I'm Mike O'Neill. Mike O'Neill. That's a right in here. Picks 37 and 38 of Triple A phase were two of the most interesting picks of the day. First of all, the Cardinals took a Cub, and the Cubs, well, the Cubs took a Cardinal, and then right back. The they said, "Okay, we'll take one back." <laughs> These things are planned. I think the teams are just drafting off their prep list. I don't think the Cardinals said, "Hey, they just took our guy. Let's get him back." This cannot stand. But in this trade, Mike O'Neill for Michael Heesh, I think the Cardinals win. Uh, Michael Heath, A, could eat Mike O'Neill. He's an enormous man, and Mike O'Neill is small. Um, he, it's like airport sushi. He could eat it, and it wouldn't be filling. And um, then you might need some chips afterward and salsa, and then you might get J.J. mad at you. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but John's Heath, getting a ride home after this. Bear's going to have to fend for himself. I've already sent him to sleep in the yard. <laughs> I really like Michael Heath, though. There's a power left-hander, guys. I know there's scattered command sometimes. But it's hard to find 9094 left-handed arms. Not as hard as it used to be, but it's still hard. And Michael O'Neill pretty much is like Colin Walsh who can't play the infield and who doesn't hit double-digit home runs. Or doesn't hit double-digit doubles. doubles. Yeah, bro, Colin Walsh hit 39 doubles this year. So. Right, Mike O'Neill pretty much goes up there. It's This is kind of the limitations of you can only go so far. Mike O'Neill goes up there, and I the best way a scout describe it is he goes up there looking to walk. Now, he is able to foul off enough pitches. He has back control. Extreme back control. That at the lower levels, that meant that he walked a ton. He still walks at the higher levels, but the reality is is that he's a guy who pitchers have realized, I'm challenging him again and again and again. Right. And again, or depth-wise, pretty good. And he, I still would not shock me if he ended up getting like a cup of coffee at some point. But... That's, that's kind of what he is. That's what he is. And I, to me, a really good org player is the way that I you know, see Mike O'Neill and a guy who, especially if you get him in AAA with, around an Arizmendi Alcantara, if he's back in AAA, around a Javi Baez if he's back there, around some of your younger players who are overly aggressive, he could be a good influence, almost like a, a, a quasi-hitting coach, a player-slash-coach. Um, I do think Michael Heath has, has some real – Potential there. Um, my interest this year for was Myrtle Beach or yeah, Myrtle Beach, whichever I saw him at. I know if I'm probably in my backpack right now. We have video of him. And then I'll tell you that from a tool standpoint, two of the guys drafted lower, Devin Harris and Julio Morban, they are two corner bats with big raw power. They both move very well for their size, and both lack enough feel for the game to turn those tools into uh, success in the minor leagues at this point. Harris was an eighth-round pick at one point out of East Carolina as a junior. Didn't sign, and I believe the next year he was a 46th-round pick. I think that he had a bad senior year. He did not endear himself to area scouts with the way he handled the draft the previous year. But there are tools there, and the same thing goes for Morbon. And I believe uh, Ben Babler said that Santiago Nessie, whom the Yankees drafted uh, 43rd overall in this round, 
was originally signed for seven hundred fifty grand. So there had to be some. And Blue, Lee, Jay, Blue, right? yeah, Blue, Jay. Blue Jays then traded in the Liam Hendricks trade to the okay. Royals. Been in the Royals for a couple of years. Another guy I'll throw out here is is that Fernando Ooh. Baez, who mm-hmm. the Rays took, going to miss half the season coming off of TJ. Pre TJ though, pretty significant arm, and so. The Rays have some hopes there that this is a guy who you're kind of stealing because of the injury, and you hope that you may have something there. They actually think that he has a chance to be actually like more than an org player. Meanwhile, that's a great, that'd be a great uh, follow-up song for Boston, more than an org player. <laughs> um, meanwhile, um, the loneliest player, one is the loneliest number, Juan and Juan Caballero is the loneliest player in the Rule 5 draft. The lone player pick in the double-A phase I haven't checked the internal notes. Do we have anything internally on Juan Caballero? Yes. Instant, instant nickname. Yes, I think, but I'm not looking it up right now. I'm I hate say, to say it. I'm no. going to say instant, instant nickname because El Caballo, Caballero is like a cowboyish nickname. Right. He's a lone horseman. There you go. Sure. A lone ranger. If any team needed to raid other teams in the minor league phase, the rule, the double A phase, known, it's the it's the Marlins. But look at this though. I, I will say to this, where, this is a player. good way to wrap up. I will two two things to wrap up with this, unless anyone else has something. No, I'm ready to wrap. Okay, two things. One, do remember the Marlins dominate the minor league phase, the Rule Five draft. They have historically. Yeah. Justin Bohr, Alejandro De Aza are the, uh, the 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 guys. I mean, those are the best two pay, pick guys taken in the minor league phase in quite a while. But here's the other thing. Okay, I'm going to count this. This is going to be fascinating podcast listening here. But Anderson Franco, one. Zach Cox, two. Uh, Felipe Gonzalez, three. Michael Smith, four. Uh, Sergi Rosa, five. Daniel Johnson, six. Alex Burgo, seven. The Marlins lost seven guys in the minor league phase of the World Five Draft. That is amazing. Draft. Forty-eight guys taken. They lost seven. They lost one, roughly one seventh of them. So that is significant in a minor way. Hey, especially in an organization that has no, no, no talent. I mean, they just are really barren. There's no other way to put it. Uh, it's a bottom. It's a bottom three farm system, right? It now. is a bottom three farm system. Um, I like that you said barren, 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 and we're not. It's not a definite <laughs> number thirty. There are other teams out there. Now that, that are also now barren, that is barren. correct. Uh, how about this news? Nationals and Angels. Nationals traded Junel Escobar to the Angels for Trevor Gott and something else. Um, Angels are getting awfully right-handed. But Junel Escobar, interesting uh, acquisition because he's a second base, third base. I guess he's a second baseman for them. They need um, one of those. But suddenly they've gone from Giovatella and Ibar up the middle to Junel Escobar and Andrews and Simmons. Now... I believe that Billy Epler trusts his ability to rebuild a bullpen because Trevor Gott was a crucial piece of the bullpen mm-hmm. last year for the Angels. But, you know, everyone's talking about the Diamondbacks window and the moves they have to make to within their window. The Angels' window is the smallest window. And if they don't win in 2016, Billy Epler's going to have to tear it all down and, and rip it out. And for me... Um, I would st- I would spare no expense if I were Artie Moreno and Billy Epler to do everything I could to win this year. They're I mean, ruling the finals for Mr. Hayward. Right. And if not Hayward, then Upton. But that's the thing. is that I'm a little bit surprised. I thought they maybe they would try to sign an outfielder and pick if they're going to be right-handed or left-handed before they – because outside of Cole Calhoun, do they even have a left-handed bat? Ibar was one of their best left-handed bats. He gone. So, you know, they're very right-handed. Do you think it matters? Or what do you think of them picking up Junel Escobar? 
Uh, again, I just like it from the standpoint. I just think of it from this standpoint. And Escobar's not at this point a great player. But he had a good year for the Nats. But he had a good year, year for the Nats last year. And the other part of this is that second base was a real problem. Shortstop and second base. Ibar was fine, but right. he doesn't hurt you, doesn't help you that much. They've and now they had no versatility either. They now Escobar like again, has. it's it's something if something happened to Simmons, you, you could slide Escobar back over. That's I mean you wouldn't want you ideally you wouldn't want to, but right. you could. What do you have for uh, Miles J getting traded for Will Lamb, Josh Norris? Well, it's one animal, a J, getting traded for another, <laughs> a lamb. You don't often see the bird mammal trades, but there you are. Oh, I like it. That is a trade that is not exactly going to burn up our trade center. We can't end on that note, though. I thought I assumed that you'd seen Miles J at some point. I probably have, but it's a long time ago. It was a long time ago in a league far, far away. Um, any other thoughts you guys had on the winter meetings? Uh, lasting impressions? Uh, best move? Worst move? Non-Rule 5 category, JJ? Okay, hold on. Someone go to someone else first because I have All to right. get out of Rule 5 mode. I mean, like, there were... Wait, you're telling me there were other moves at this thing? You're saying there's a chance. I'm still... I now am remembering that there were, yeah, but it's... Getting that spreadsheet up. I mean, obviously... Josh, the big move was the one we talked I about. I gotta love the Braves. Uh, the, Bra- the Braves move. We didn't talk about anything on Wednesday. Brett Lowry, Brett Lowry going to uh, for a very, very modest return. A pittance, a pittance, I believe it's a good word for it. Neil Walker to the Mets uh, from Pittsburgh for Jonathan Neese. That's a- that surprised me a little bit. I mean, like, well, that was a fun trade because. After it was done, Nice uh, kind of said something controversial. You know, it's gonna be nice to go to Pittsburgh, where, basically where they have the defense. And uh, I missed that. Yeah, he said it wasn't. That it's an harsh, accurate comment, but, though. It is an accurate was, comment. That was the gist. And John Nice goes from you know. It, it is true. Flores and Dan Murphy up the middle. In I tell you, this opens up some things for too. Is uh, Adam Frazier in Pittsburgh or Max Moroff for one of those guys to move up and be like that utility infielder? Because they've got Kong going to third, Harrison going to second now. And I guess Jordy Mercer's at shortstop, and they need some help, some infield depth to go. Now that they lose Neil, the funny Walker, thing is, is okay, so the, they traded away. The home. funny thing is, is they traded away. You know, so you got this does block Dilson Herrera with the Mets. I think Dilson Herrera blocked himself last year. It didn't help. It right. didn't help himself. But uh, the Mets that, have a lot of infielders. I thought the plan was Wilmer Flores moving over from shortstop to second base, but now Neil Walker, uh, he doesn't. I wouldn't say Neil Walker would do a good impression of Daniel Murphy. I'll say Daniel Murphy all these years has been like a poor man's Neil Walker. Right, Neil Walker's just a better player. I think he's a similar player, but a better player better and a player. better defender. So Much better defender. I said Jonathan Neese, though, that could be a sneaky pickup I, for Pittsburgh like Jay Happ was. I think that is. I, again, I like moves like that where you just go, I think this is a could logical fit for both teams because they needed a second baseman and the Pirates needed another pitcher. We're missing a move because it's not official yet, but the Ken Giles trade isn't on here. Right. Uh, That's a good one to talk about. It's a good right, one to so wrap let's, on. Let's just do board, uh, just background here. So last night, after JJ has, has trolled the lobby until 2 a.m., he comes into the room saying something about Thomas Eshelman. And I, in my stupor, I thought he had said Thomas Eshelman was going to be the first pick in the Rule of Five. And I didn't know what the heck he was talking about at 2 a.m., <laughs> but I knew he wasn't eligible. But he, he was on to something. So it was Eshelman and Derek Fisher and Brett Velasquez. Vince Velasquez and Brett Olderholzer for Ken Giles, which is a fascinating trade. It makes an already good system better. Well, Velasquez doesn't count because he's, he's graduated into major leaguerhood. But Derek Fisher and uh, Thomas Eshelman are, are really good gets for that system. And I like it. Keep, I know John is not a big fan of trading the draft picks uh, I'm not. In, in before the year has passed. I'm not. Well, we traded with, no, we, they traded $10 million almost of draft picks 
at this winter meetings, I think, or not necessarily winter meetings, but this winter. Logan Allen, Dansby Swanson, obviously the bulk of that. Thomas Eshelman and Zach Irwin in the the um, Brett Laurie deal. I'm not a fan of it. No, sir, I don't like it. And uh, and the biggest reason I don't like it is the prospect handbook. But the other thing is, again, I'll just say this: these teams really need more assets to trade. I mean, how many minor leaguers you have to have under control before you have some too cases, many guys to trade? In some cases, you, you yes, you do because. We have farm systems that the only thing that they really have in the farm system right now is the guys they drafted this year. Uh, that, there's that. I, I will say that I don't think that's what I, I don't think long term that's good for baseball teams. I don't think that's good for major league that baseball. That may be and true, that's, but and you, that's why in the NBA they had to come in and stop teams from trading their first round pick in consecutive years because it was brutal for rebuilding teams and it made bad teams stay bad for a long time. I just think it's something to watch as we go forward. I don't think it's a good trend. I think the teams have enough assets. I like uh, I like trades. I love trades. I love them all. These trades would have happened anyway. You just have different guys. I love to see GMs get creative, and you give them more pieces to get more creative. I think it makes it more fun. I want to see a trade, and I want to see draft picks get traded, not themselves. I'm again it. I'm totally against that. You are that. definitely against that. I want to see Rule 5 picks traded. And JJ's I just going don't see they the do have to get traded. No, they get traded. No, 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 no. The, the picks themselves. Well, same difference. Same difference. I was last night. That, it does make making a mock. It does make making your Rule 5 mock a lot tougher when to, you know this. Someone, right. If it problem. wasn't for that, I could have lined up the top, like, five picks. To me, trading draft picks is just you just open to agents manipulating where players go in draft. That is the... And that is not what anybody... That's not what you want. It's so. a fair point. Good job. Thanks that's, very much. Wait, that's not that's not our catchphrase. That's a Trentonian catchphrase. I'm sorry, you don't get that reference. I don't, and that's a good thing, and that's a great way to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> Before we do, I do want to remind everyone, baseballamerica.com slash store. You can go and get your BA books. We've got the Prospect Handbook coming out soon. The Almanac's already out there. Here's the other great thing, though. Right now, if you buy something, we've got our holiday special. If you buy something, you get a great parks calendar, which is hanging on my wall. We're in December of the 15 now. I'm getting ready. Can't wait to put the 16 up soon after that. And honestly, if you have a an older fan in your life, I don't think there's a better book that we do than the Hall of Fame Almanac, which to me, we need to push more, so I'm pushing it. Push it. The Hall of Fame Real Almanac good. has a bio a biography of every single player in the Hall of Fame. Also, if you have a young fan. Stats, and it's fantastic for my 11-year-old. He's memorized pretty much the whole Hall of Fame. And uh, that includes the Negro Leaguers. That includes the executives, which I don't know anything about all those executives who are in the Hall of Fame. So one day soon, we'll have to do the Scouts Hall of Fame uh, book as well, I hope. So... Um, we'll look out for that. So, great time here in Nashville, um, even at that hotel, um, which we hear is out of the rotation coming forward. Uh, which is lame hashtag sources. I like that hotel. You, and I will say at this point, like, if I have Rule 5 fever like no one else has, you have Gaylord Opryland fever like no one else. Why? What? I didn't think I had it that bad. I just liked it. No Why? one. It's a nice little hotel. There's nothing little about it. There's nothing little. It's the little. biggest hotel in the United States. It's not the place I explore. actually outside I, of outside of Las Vegas, it is physically the largest hotel. I in the actually United States. there was we were there. I never I did not go outside for three days, and there was parts of that hotel like I'm not talking like rooms. I'm talking parts of lobbies that I never visited. I got lost the more we stayed there. The first day I had it all down pat. It got worse and worse progressively because I, it's a crazy place. It's no good. I'm glad that it's out of the rotation. It's supposedly Vegas back in, so we'll see. Next year's winter meetings are in Washington. So. Which is like Vegas, but with congressmen. <laughs> I can't Let's edit that out. Exactly, I can't edit that out. So thank you for listening. Thanks for all your interest in the Rule 5 draft. Thanks, JJ and Josh, for your time. I'm John Manuel. We'll be back on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.